introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. So I don't have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, I've got Kelly Russell on this week, and he's one of those people, again, that I've wanted to get on for a long while, but now that I have this sort of uh, week-to-week thing where I have the invitee, the interviewee, to select the... They have the pressure of selecting my next guest, and so Dr. Scott Allen told me, you've got to have Kelly Russell on, and I thought, yes, you're correct. I just, you know, it's normal that they're correct. That's that's nine out of ten times so far. Uh, well, I haven't done it nine times. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. But uh, I've got Kelly Russell on, and I was super excited to talk to him because he's, again, another Texas legend. He might not say it, but he is. 19 years in one spot at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. He's been there for a while, so it's it's really it was really great to talk to him and to get to know him a little bit because again it's uh, very similar to TETA and Thespians when you go to these things you know you you see these people and you pass by these people and maybe you even break bread with these people on occasion in a group setting and and then you go on your merry way and I believe that's happened a couple times with me and Kelly Russell uh, same with uh, a lot of my guests even next week's guest who's Aaron Brown. So stick around for that next week. But uh, it's just one of those things. This is why this podcast exists. It's not just for me. It is also so that you guys get to know some of these people a little better. Uh, I do want to make sure that I mention the Twitter account, the Facebook, all that stuff. But you can always hit me up on Twitter at Mr. Blake Miner. I do have quite a few friend friend requests that I've received on Facebook from people that I have I may have met you, and I apologize if I have and I don't remember, but we at least have quite a few, quite a few mutual friends, so that is always fun. Uh, We return in my district to -to face-to-face learning very soon. Teachers are going back on Wednesday of this week, which happens to be my youngest daughter's fourth birthday. My oldest was last Friday, so... We've got an eight and a four-year-old in the house now, but uh, Mr. at Mr. Blake Miner on Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram. You can find the Minor Wisdom Pod thing uh, pretty much everywhere, but uh, you can also just hit me up personally, and I won't be offended. Uh, uh, one cool thing that came about this week is that uh, we're doing these artist spotlights in Fort Bend, uh, where we focus on a BIPOC or LGBTQ artists in the entertainment industry and I don't know if I've mentioned it on here or not but I've created a list with the thanks of Destiny Miller and Miss Nancy Lynch we created a list of people to focus on and we're focusing on these uh, artists these great playwrights and performers and even people over on the west coast uh, that have contributed immensely to the world of theater and entertainment so far I started with August Wilson Uh, I focused on Lorraine Hansberry, Uh, I focused on Ruth E. Carter, the great costume designer, and this past week, I heard back, because I reached out to a few, I heard back from young Jean Lee, and she replied to my email that I sent her with a bunch of amazing answers to what she said were some great questions, not to pat myself on the back, but it was really cool, it's really cool to hear back from very successful artist. She is the first, uh, as she said, female 
Asian American, but from everything that I had seen doing some research on her, she was the first Asian American to have a play produced on Broadway. So whether she was the first Asian American or the first female Asian American, uh, either way, it took until 20, I believe it was 2018 when it happened. So it took a hundred years for it to happen pretty much. Um, and, uh, she even stated herself that that's a little too long, a little sad. Um, but things are changing. And I know in Fort Bend, I've got to thank Travis Springfield for pretty much pushing this on us. And, and, and any director that thinks that it's not a good idea to do this is probably in the wrong profession. So I've embraced the heck out of it and really enjoying it. So I highly recommend you guys do that too. If you want some of that information, some of the content I've put together, uh, then please, or if you know some people, <laughs> if you know Lin-Manuel, just saying, uh, then reach out to me. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this week's interview with Mr. Kelly Russell. I'm Kelly Russell, and I am a professor of theater at Texas A&M University in Corpus Christi. And um, I guess my career in theater started in high school. I grew up in Canadian, Texas, which is a small town in the Panhandle. Um, and it was kind of a wonderful, magical place with lots of amazing people and some great opportunities. My um, father was a football coach, but he became an administrator like many coaches do. And um, the summer before my sophomore year in high school, uh, my dad hired a new theater teacher and that happened to be Tal Lestraco, um, who it was just an amazing teacher. Um, Tal was passionate and brilliantly talented. And um, and one of the great things that Tal did for us is that he told stories um, about one act play contests and people that he really admired and brilliant shows that he had seen. And, and I learned so much from Tal because he was a brilliant teacher and director, but also because of the stories he told. So I, I'm a huge fan of the UIL One Act Play Contest and the history of it because of, of him. Um, and so my um, experience in high school was um, pretty extraordinary because I had Tal as a teacher and then my family moved my, before my senior year, right before my senior year. So I had a new teacher uh, my senior year in Sonora, Texas, and that was Terry Mars. And I'm, I think I was the luckiest high school theater student in Texas because I moved from one great teacher and director to another one. Um, and Terry was experienced. He had had great success at a 5A school and then moved to Sonora, a smaller town, to raise his family. And he was equally brilliant and polar opposite of how Tal was. Tal was all passion and fire and um, instinct. Um, and Terry Mars was calm, cool, collected, organized, and just easy. Um, and so I, I, I was fortunate to learn so much from two great teachers when I was in high school. Um, and also during high school, I was lucky to get to attend the state meets to watch other people's shows. Um, as a sophomore, I went to state in prose. So I, I got to see 
um, Equus, done by San Antonio Lee High School, and it was directed by Joe Ed Manry. And I just had no idea that theater could be that good as a high school student. It was just a mind-blowing um, performance. And I also got to see a funny thing happened on the way to the forum um, that Bishop High School did, directed by Joe Trevino. Um, and to this day, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, so I, I, I was really inspired um, in high school. Um, and then I went to college at um, Southwest Texas State University, which is of course now Texas State. Um, and again, I feel like it was a magical time to be at that institution in that department. Um, we had amazing professors and I was also fortunate to go to school with brilliant other students. Um, I went to school with Paula Rodriguez and Scott Allen and Travis Springfield and Ronnie Watson and Mike Doggett um, and tons of other people. And so um, we learned um, from each other and from our wonderful instructors like Dennis McGanza and Richard Sauters and Jay Jennings. Um, and, and I really loved my time in undergrad. Um, after that, I got a job um, teaching in the Panhandle. So I moved back, um, back to my roots and taught in Dumas for a couple of years. And then I moved um, from Dumas to San Angelo and taught at San Angelo Central High School, um, where I was incredibly fortunate to um, work with David Stevens. And we would go on um, to work together at South Lake Carroll as well. And um, it, I, I just think I, I wouldn't be the person and the teacher that I am today if it weren't for getting to work with David and other really, really great people. Um, I actually was hired in San Angelo at Central to be the speech coach. So bizarrely, I, I was not certified in speech, but they didn't seem to know that. And <laughs> I had had success uh, on the forensic circuit, both in UIL and TFA as a coach. So I was hired to do speech at Central. And so I did that for the first two years. And an odd thing occurred or a, a unique thing, um, the theater teacher from the other school in San Angelo, Lakeview High School, called me and asked me if I would direct their one act play. <laughs> so I was teaching at Central and I, I, I told her, yeah, I, I'd love to, but I'm not gonna direct it, I'll co-direct it with you. And she had already picked the play and already cast it. And so <laughs> I would, I went and directed the show at Lakeview. And, and it's interesting, I was talking to um, David about our San Angelo days the other day. And um, my day would start at seven in the morning with my first class. I, I coached my speech team at seven in the morning. And then as soon as school ended, I would drive across town to Lakeview and direct their one-act play with um, the wonderful teacher there whose name was Jeannie Beck. And then I would drive back to Central and um, attend David and Norma's rehearsal at Central High School. So we'd finish about 10 o'clock at night and then get up the next day and do it all again. And at the time that didn't seem odd that we were spending so many hours working. It was just, it was just fun. Um, and um, I, I learned a lot um, 
directing at Lakeview with Jeannie Beck because she had asked me to help her because she had never been successful in one act play. Um, she had never advanced out of zone. But when I started working with her, I realized that she was an amazing teacher, not, not just a good teacher, but an incredible teacher. Um, and she was supportive of her students. She taught all the right things. She was an amazing acting teacher. She cared more than anyone I think I've ever known about her students. Um, and, and it was a great realization that you could be a tremendously successful teacher, but not necessarily always excel at competition, that, that a one act play competition doesn't define your talent as an educator at all. Um, and, and it was a, I, it was a great fun experience. Um, and we ended up at Lakeview advancing to region that year. Um, and Jeannie was so happy. I was thrilled. The kids were thrilled. Um, it was a really amazing experience. And it was one of my favorite things that I did was drive across town and direct the other schools when I act play. Um, after two years, I became a, I became the theater director at San Angelo Central. And then I had a little diversion and went to grad school for a year. Um, but a job came open that I'd always wanted at Austin Westlake High School. So I interviewed for that and got the job. So I left grad school after a year and um, got to Westlake and realized it wasn't a perfect fit for me. And so, um, but I thought I would stay there forever because I loved um, living in Austin. <laughs> And I loved the opportunities there, but um, David Stevens and I were driving back from a one-night play clinic and um, we were in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And he said, hey, there's a school here that has two job openings. Um, do you wanna go check it out? And I was like, sure. Um, so we drove up to South Lake Carroll and the doors were open to the school, went into the building and decided we would both apply. He, he was working at Highland Park in Dallas at the time. Um, so we both applied um, as, as a package deal, we said you can only you can have both of us or neither of us, and uh, and they gave us the job. Um, and uh, they were they were very curious because we also stipulated that neither of us um, would be the head director while the other one was the assistant. We would both be equal, and that included whatever stipends there were. We had to get paid the same. Um, and that caused lots of worry for them for some reason. Um, but we had learned from Norma Watts, who we both worked with at um, San Angelo, that things were better when they were shared equally, especially as far as who gets the credit for stuff. That um, who gets the credit is, is not what's important. Um, what's important is that um, people do the tasks that they excel at um, and you're always going to be better if you work with people that you respect that you that you treat like a colleague and who have skills that are very different than, than yours um, I think David and I's collaboration was great because we have totally different skill sets um, and that extended to how we would list the names of directors in the programs when we went to contest we would always each year we would just switch whose name was first um, no matter how much either of us did on the play. And 
we we made it very clear from the beginning that when we were when we were together in a room and we talked about shows we had directed, we said our shows. When we were alone, we said my show. <laughs> um, and we had a great deal of fun um, because all of my friends thought I always really directed the plays and his friends that he went to school with always thought he really directed the plays. And that just tickled us to death that they didn't know and people were very curious to find out. When in actuality, we, we shared responsibilities quite evenly down the line. Um, so, um, so I taught high school for 10 years total. Um, and, and, and loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed um, teaching high school. Um, but after four years at South Lake Carroll, David applied for a job at UIL and I assumed he would get it. Um, and I didn't want to continue um, teaching high school without him. So I decided to go back to grad school and um, I knew Marion Castleberry, who had just become um, director of the MFA directing program at Baylor. And, and so I applied to Baylor. And um, so I went to grad school at Baylor. And at that time, David ended up not getting um, the theater director's job at UIL, um, but he soon afterwards became the fine arts director at Keller, which was um, a great experience for him. And um, I went to Baylor and I, I'll be honest, I really was going to graduate uh, graduate school just for the piece of paper. I thought it was just something I need to, a box I needed to tick off. Um, but I got there and quickly realized I had a tremendous amount to learn and that there were some extraordinary people um, in the department, both professors and students, um, and that I could get so much out of the experience. And I loved my MFA directing program at Baylor so much. Um, it's exactly what I needed after 10 years of teaching high school. Um, the other students in the program were younger than I was and they hadn't taught high school. So they thought the workload was grueling. And for me, it was fun <laughs> to get to, you know, just play as an artist and a director. So. Um, and Marion was a great inspiration at Baylor and um, Deanna Totenbeard um, had just become the new theater history professor and dramaturg at Baylor. And she's quite extraordinary. Um, and she's now the chair of their department. She's absolutely wonderful. Um, so I loved my time at Baylor. Um, two years into grad school, um, Deanna Totenbeard that I just mentioned um, taped a job description that had popped up on ArtSearch um, to my desk so that I saw it when I got there in the morning. And there was a little note on the job description that said, I found your job. And it was a description for Texas A&M University Corpus Christi looking for um, a, a new um, faculty member. And the job description literally, if you had said, describe Kelly in a few sentences, it literally listed everything about me. Um, they wanted someone who had UIL experience. They wanted someone involved with TETA. And that year I was the programming director for TETA. Um, they wanted someone with experience directing theater for youth, which I had done a lot of both in college and as a high school teacher. So like literally everything on the job description was me. So I, you know, I, I went to my professors at Baylor and was like, I, I would love to apply for this job, but I still have one more year to complete. 
And they were like, well, we've already decided that you're going to direct your thesis show a year early because we have an open slot. And then if you got the job, you can just take the remainder of your classes online. Um, and um, I applied and got the job and Baylor worked it out so that I could start a year early my new career as a college professor. Um, I, I was amazed that they thought that far ahead for me and that um, they took care of me because they knew an opportunity like that might not come open for me ever again. Um, so so I, I really appreciated how much they cared and how, how far they bent over backwards to help accommodate um, getting me a job. And I'm now in my 17th year at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Um, I thought when I first got the job that, oh, I'll probably be here a couple of years and then I'll move on to some other university or someplace bigger or, um, I, I had just all my life continued to move to new opportunities. I hadn't stayed in one place. But once I got here, I fell in love with my colleagues um, and our students and the university and especially our administration, which is incredibly supportive of fine arts and our theater program. I, I can't explain why they're so supportive. Maybe it's because we don't have a football team. I, I don't know. But um, the, our administration loves the arts, loves theater, and, and they support us in every way possible. Um, so in my, in my time here, we've grown. When I first stepped foot on campus, we had 33 theater majors. And a couple of years ago, we hit 160. Um, and since then, we've become more selective um, in who we accept. So we don't get that big because we're conscious of not wanting to grow too large to um, support all students. Um, in addition to... Um, teaching and directing at a Corpus Christi. I've been a UIL critic judge ever since I started grad school at Baylor. So almost 20 years I've been, I've, I've been a critic judge for UIL. And, uh, and, I, and I've really enjoyed that experience as well, mostly because I enjoy seeing other people's great work and I get so inspired um, by the things that I see high school directors do a contest. I always have. I, I think it's quite extraordinary. Well, that's, so, yeah, that, there you go. That was great. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so I, man, I typed out a lot of questions. Some are silly, some are, I'm going to go with a, a silly one first. Awesome. Uh, so I, I got my degree from Angelo State, my master's degree, but I've, I've never been to St. Angelo because I did the Blackboard online. You know, I was doing online oh. before online was cool, right? So uh, same with you, it sounds like. But what? why should I go to St. Angelo? Why should I go visit St. Angelo? Like, what am I missing uh, in I, that town? I, I, I tell you, it, first of all, it's a beautiful town. Um, when people think of West Texas, they think of barren wasteland with tumbleweeds. Um, I mean, there's water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have trees in St. Angelo. And... It's it's a it's a place that is in a in the middle of a conservative area, but in a way, San Angeloans are open minded. Um, for several years, they had a gay mayor, for example, right. and reelected him after he came out of the closet. <laughs> um, 
And the work ethic of the people and um, the kindness of the people is just quite extraordinary. Yeah, I've heard the, I've heard the, the how everybody's very polite. It's very traditionally polite. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. It's, it's great. What did what did you drive when you were living there? Because you were mentioning how you commuted back and forth. Like, did your did your car hold up? Did you have to get a new one? Did you? <laughs> how did that work? I drove a Nissan Sentra. Okay. And there's a story about that or, or several stories. That's the point of this um, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, so I drove this little Nissan Sentra and I didn't realize how poorly made they were until I was um, parked behind David Stevens in the parking lot and he drove a pickup and he backed into my car. Yeah. And the main damage was it scraped the top off my bumper, which was a black kind of rubber looking covering and revealed that the bumper was made of styrofoam, white styrofoam. (laughs) Um, And David's advice to me after this was, well, when you report it to your insurance, just tell him you hit a deer. (laughs) Like somehow the deer had bit the bumper as I hit it and took a chunk out of it. and my favorite thing to do in San Angelo was go to the town and country convenience store because they had the best chimichangas anywhere. Okay. And so I would get a chimichanga. So I was in getting a chimichanga one day and I came out and there were a bunch of oil field workers standing around my car and one of them had their foot up on the bumper. And I heard one of them say, wonder if it floats. <laughs> so so that's, that's the car I drove when I was commuting to Lakeview, which was, it, that wasn't a tremendously long drive. It was like 20 minutes across town. Sure. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. I'm glad this podcast isn't sponsored by Nissan. So yeah. That's, oh, sorry <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Nissan. I don't have any sponsors. That was a long time ago. I'm sure they've improved a great <laughs> I'm sure year. they have. Uh, so another fun question that I'll get into the meat of things. You grew up in the panhandle. So what is it like being on the beach now for the last 17 years? Like, has it, has that been getting some getting used to? Oh, it's, it's been beautiful. Yeah. The, the Panhandle is cold for people who've never um, lived in Lubbock, Amarillo, or north of those places. Right. It gets frigidly cold in the winters. Um, from my youth, one of our stories we tell is, um, <laughs> I mean, my life is so strange. We, <laughs> we, raised, we raised show pigs, okay. and we would have to feed the pigs every morning. And one morning it was so cold, our snot froze. Um, so that's part of my childhood is the frigidly cold panhandle. Um, and in a lot of places, there aren't a lot of trees. So the fact that I get to drive the work to work now, looking at the Gulf right. and passing through all these beautiful palm trees, it's kind of like paradise. Right. You know? Yeah. So uh, do you have a family from that area, from where you grew up? Do they ever come visit you and say, or, or did they and say like, what in the, where, yeah. where is this? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, Paula Rodriguez came to, when I was teaching in Dumas, um, Paula brought her speech team to my speech tournament, um, which, uh, I mean, she was teaching at Sonora and, but it was a seven hour, seven or eight hour drive from Sonora to Dumas, even though they're both considered West Texas. Um, and the morning of the tournament, after they had stayed in the hotel in Dumas, they got up and it had there'd been an ice storm and her school van doors were frozen shut. She couldn't get them open. So another school had to give them a ride to the tournament. So she said she'd never go north of Lubbock again. 
She has, but yeah. uh, but it, it's quite a shock for people who had never been up there. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like a like a tiny Alaska or something, you know. For some people, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have a you've been a state uh, judge now um, a handful of times, right? Uh, um, yes, I think I was counting. I think seven at this point. Okay. What what do you like? How for those people? Because a lot of people have not been state judges. More people have not been a state judge than have, right? Sure. How do you how do you equate the feeling of the show you chose as the the winning show? And and this is more of a panel uh, question than obviously if you're the individual judge, you you know what show yeah. won. But how do you equate that feeling? Just knowing like this show that you chose that you thought was the best actually went on to be uh, the the best show in the state that particular year. Like what what does that feel like? You know the the how much pride. Do you oh. have when you when you make that selection and the other two judges might agree or it might think it's a two or something to that effect and it ends up winning? It's actually uh, first of all, I, I love panels. I, I judged state a few times as a single judge and then, of course, on panels. And I, I am such a huge fan of the three judge panel and all contests because it takes the pressure off of one individual judge. Um, if the other two think a show is first, then it's first. And that is a tremendous relief to me that um, I don't have to bear the responsibility on my own. Um, and it's interesting that um, judging on panels, most of the times that I've judged the show that one got straight ones, like there were three ones from the judges. Right. Um, and that is a great feeling right. because all of us thought that is obviously the winner. Um, and, and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also telling when the judges don't um, agree on who the state champion is because it means everyone or many of them are worthy of winning state. Right. And I, I believe that uh, there's a great selection process for state judges and all of them have an enormous amount of experience and um, talent when it comes to adjudicating. And so if if we disagree, that's great. There were many shows worthy of winning. Right. Um, I also, um, I, I, I also um, came from a place since I since I competed, I learned very early to not expect um, to win. <laughs> Um, my first year of One Act Clay, um, I got to Region and we performed at Region and the audience was applauding in the middle of the play. I mean, I, and I was like, like, holy cow, we're going to state. And then at the awards, they announced two other people winning. And as a first year teacher, I was devastated because it had never occurred to me that we might not advance. Now, a few weeks later, those two shows that advanced instead of me got first and second at state. So the judge made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's always something that I like when adjudicators talk about, you know, we're here to choose the winning, the, the state eligible show, even if it's a zone, yeah. you know, that's that's their goal. It's yeah. totally true. Yeah. And um, and I learned from that experience that I, I, I needed to prepare myself and my students for the possibility that we wouldn't yeah, advance. Right. 
Right. And so for the next nine years of teaching high school, my, my goal, every contest was to prepare us for the possibility that we might win and for the possibility that we might not advance. Right. And when we were fortunate enough to advance to state, I knew how good everyone else was. Right. So every time we were announced as placing, I was totally surprised and thrilled. Right. Um, and I, I placed second several times. And I was overjoyed with second place. I was elated. <laughs> and it disappoints me when I see directors at an awards assembly get announced as third or second place and they and their company seems disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't understand that. Yeah. Because it's uh, the, the benefit of advancing to any level is that you get to work longer on your show yeah. and more people get to see your work. Right. And so the award is people seeing your work and many of them are going to love it. Right. Right. So. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so to keep st keeping on the competition side of things, you mentioned you were speech and debate for a while. Uh, yes. Do you recommend that if a student is continuing on with theater in their life beyond high school, that they too try to get at least a year or two of experience in high school of speech and debate uh, to kind of, refine some skills or their skills that they th they're probably missing in theater that they could achieve with speech and debate competitions? Um, I, I'm a, like Craig Hurdle, who I listened to in your last, one of your last podcasts. Um, I, I believe it's good for students to get a wide variety of experiences. So I, I'm a total fan of students doing more than theater in high school when they're able to. I know in 6A schools, that's sometimes very difficult. Um, but I, I think there can be great advantages for students who do both theater and forensics or speech competitions. It's best when both, both the theater and um, speech coach have, take the high road when it comes to oral interpretation because um, it, it's possible for students to learn some really bad habits in oral interp. Um, because oral interp is all about having an impact on the audience. The goal is to impact the audience to laugh or to cry. And in acting, obviously, the goal is to impact the other people on stage with you. Um, and, and so, so for students who are entering college who have a lot of experience with oral interpretation, um, I think most of them will tell you that their first year of university theater training is about tra getting, a, getting rid of the bad habits they possibly developed when they were doing interp competitions. Um, but at the same time, doing interp competitions helps students understand when to bring it and right. turn it on. Um, and the people who've done interp are awesome at auditioning right. because each speech tournament round is like a new audition right. and they learn how to work it. And so there are great skills they can learn. Well, and that, that goes to what you just said about in, in an audition, your goal yeah. is to affect the audience probably more than. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So your, your quote unquote audience, that's uh, interesting. So they fool you. <laughs> yeah, totally. They steal the job. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, another sort of, um, 
UIL-ish competition question, and then I'll, I'll get off of that uh, boat. But how do you, you, you even mentioned yourself about a, a great teacher you taught with uh, uh, that didn't have the success in one act play um, that some administrators look for, but was a stellar classroom and even uh, probably directed great shows. You didn't mention that, but she I did. assume, yeah, yeah, I assume she did. She, she totally did. Yeah. yeah. So how, other than recommendations, other than an admin going in after the fact and finding who your recommendations are and asking them what, uh, or more questions about the person, is there something that you think a, a prospective director or teacher can do in the interview room that convinces an administrator, hey, I, just because I don't have uh, all these state qualifiers or yeah. this or that, doesn't mean that I'm a bad teacher director. Is there something they can do to help, you know, sway their, their mind? Cause there are some administrators that think if you don't have that pedigree, then I'm not even going to talk to you. Um, yes. And you know, I, I, I think someone asked me one time what they should do if in the interview, the, um, the administrator brought up, you have to win or you're not going to stay in the job. And my response to them was, you shouldn't take the job. Um, you shouldn't tell them that. Um, and um, to, to a teacher who is a great teacher, um, but doesn't necessarily have the success, um, I, I think anytime in an interview that you make clear that you are passionate for the work, and that you are passionate about students. And you give other examples to demonstrate your success, whether it's what you've done for outreach in your community, or right. um, if you've been able to cultivate a great audience following in your program, or in how good you are at recruiting students into the program. You know, I mean, a successful program is going to make students want to be a part of theater. And I think that's a tremendous um, indication of success. Right. Um, and, you know, how supportive are your parents to your program? That's also, sure. um, I think, a great indication. Is there... Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's good. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, because th this is kind of a weird question, but you've worked in practically every region of the state. Uh, and I don't yeah. mean I don't necessarily mean region one, two, three, four. I mean, just the panhandle to West Texas now, you know, down South with Corpus, even, and, and Dallas people would not consider themselves panhandle people, although panhandle nope. people might consider themselves North Texas. So, yeah. right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I can't say North Texas cause Dallas thinks they're the only people in the North, but, <laughs> and I can say that cause my entire family's from there and my wife. Uh, but <laughs> you, since you've taught in almost every region, is there, kind of because Texas is so big it's all you know at, at one point it was his own country is there a difference between how a uh, uh, community or um, students or parents or faculty ex, uh, have expectations for theater in the, and you don't have to get specific but in the panhandle compared to West Texas compared to Dallas compared to Corpus is there is it almost like going from a different country to a different country each time you've kind of uh, traveled around the state? Uh, yes, my experience with um, high school um, education for theater was that it was very, very different. In the Panhandle in West Texas, 
parents were thrilled for their children to be busy with school activities. So, I mean, I think I was teaching before the eight hour rule where you had a time limit for right. rehearsal. Right. So, I mean, our rehearsal schedule was insane. We were there all the time. Right. And the parents were happy that we were there all the time um, because it meant um, their children were engaged in doing something positive and beneficial. Um, when I taught in the Metroplex and in Austin, parents were much more concerned that their children be home so that they could have family time. So that, that being together as a family um, was a top priority. And so rehearsals were scheduled right after school instead of at night. Right. Right. Um, but, um, and, and also in West Texas in the Panhandle, at the time I was there, we didn't have cell phones and the internet. So <laughs> there was nothing else to do. Right. <laughs> Being at rehearsal was fun because what else were you going to do? Right. When you teach in Austin, it is the greatest city in the world. Right. There are tons of stuff to do. Yeah. So sometimes being at rehearsal can be a drag. Right. <laughs> so that was that was my experience in the '90s teaching in, right. in those areas. Yeah. And not to not to say that because I think West Texas is extremely intense with their football as well, but yeah. South Lake Carroll uh, has quite the reputation with athletics. So. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that whole area has quite the reputation. So I think that might lend itself to what you said about the kids don't always need to be, uh, at rehearsal and they can yeah. maybe go, um, they have other things they could be doing. Uh, you have a, an incredible memory or from just from what you, you know, the, the few minutes you spent on just getting to your, your career, you spouted off. 20 names or something you know it was it was just it was great I was sitting here thinking oh man like I, I barely remember that many students names you know which is something I'm working on but you why what is what is it that that created this memory what is it that is it just that these people were so impactful that they just stayed there um that's a that's a really great question um and, and I'm like you I, I have trouble remembering remembering my own students names in class like students I've taught for four years, I will look at them and call yeah. them the wrong name. Yeah. My memory is bad, um, but I'm good at remembering details about UIL and what I play contests and other directors because I'm a huge fan of other people's work. That has been my inspiration and, and it's how I've grown as a teacher and director over the years is because I am such a super fan of other people. Um, I, I was incredibly fortunate as the first four years of teaching and directing when I play that I competed against Jerry Worsham, who is the winningest director um, in UIL history. And, and, it, and it, was, it, it was a joy because you didn't have to worry about trying to beat him because no one could. Um, his plays truly were extraordinary in a way that no one else could accomplish. Um, they were magical. They had an epic scope to them, even though they were simple, that was just astonishing. Um, and the acting was astonishing. The design, he was a one man program and he did things no one else could do. And so 
I looked at his plays and went, Ooh, I'll never be able to do that. <laughs> but I can learn how to do my own thing and right. hopefully I can do it that well. Right. And, and I even, I was such a fan that when I ran into ex students of his, I would ask them, I'm like, what did he do that made that so brilliant? And it was simple. He gave the students a lot of responsibility. Right. They, they did a lot of table work. Um, he would send them off to work on scenes. They would do it themselves and they would show him what they did and he would tweak it. Right. And the result because of his enormous talent or instincts or innate intelligence and ability, the, the results would be astonishing. Right. It was, it was great. Um, uh, I've asked this question to a couple of people in the college world, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and, and gotten a variety of answers. The first person I ever asked was Jim Johnson at the University of Houston. Um, yeah. And his answer was, was simple, but correct. And I'm not going to tell you what that is because I don't want to influence <laughs> it. But the question is, uh, what are some students missing when they leave high school and enter college, what do you think is is something that high school directors need to know? Hey, put a little more focus maybe here, maybe a couple more lessons on X, Y, Z. That way students, when they enter the university, the college, even community college setting, they're a little more prepared. Um, that's a wonderful question. Um, and I may have a different answer, but to me, um, what's missing in high school um, training in Texas for actors um, is the ability of an actor to focus on the other person and to get their um, performance from the other. They're, they're focused too much on, their self, on themselves and they're self-conscious because of that. Um, in Texas, we do a great job of characterization in, in high school theater, uh, especially in the one I play contest. Because you have 16-year-olds that are being asked to do on Golden Pond, <laughs> and they play an 85-year-old and do it extraordinarily well in many cases. Um, but in the process of that, they, um, they, they aren't focusing on um, putting their attention on the other person so they can be in the moment right. and they can be really reacting to what's happening. Um, and the other thing is they um, tend to perform with too much tension. Okay. Um, Young actors often feel that when they're working really hard is when it's really good. And in reality, when when something is brilliant, Natural. it looks easy. Right. Yeah. And it's really That's not at all what he said, but that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious. What did he say? He he I said tried. he said they need to learn how to schedule their time, how to manage their time. Uh, that, is, that is and, true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, which I which I a hundred percent agree with. You know, it's yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, that's the thing about that high school to college is, and that's why some kids go to the military actually, because they're, they don't have to think about their time. They are told be here, be, you know, at this time yeah. doing this. Uh, and in high school, that's what they're told. You have first period. Now you have sec. whereas they get <laughs> to college and they get to choose their schedule and they don't know how to, uh, choose wisely and then marry that with, Oh, I might have rehearsal this time, so I shouldn't take English one at at four p.m. because I don't want to wake up early. You know what I mean? So uh, that was kind of his thing. What have you enjoyed so far about teaching online? 
how creative the students can be. They they amaze me with what they can do with technology. Um, I was kind of I, I, I in the middle of the spring semester when we all had to transition from in person to online. I was teaching a movement class, and <laughs> so you're like, how is this going to be possible? Um, but and the students would take um, the instructions for an assignment and go beyond my wildest expectations because their performances were just as good as they would have been in class in person but they also either knew how to edit their phone footage or they learned how to and they created just mind-boggling results um, so i i was amazed at how well the students were able to um adapt Right. Um, and now that I put all of my, I give a lot of quizzes because I want to encourage the students to read and I want to make sure they're reading their assigned material. Right. And um, I'd always done paper quizzes. Now that I've done them online and it grades it automatically, never I'm never going back. Never going back. <laughs> That's the same. We're the, I'm the same way. You know, my wife and I have embraced the online world immensely. We we just, yeah. we really love it. We, right before I got on to interview you, I film uh, every week, I film what I call the minor minute. So just to give the kids, here's what's happening this week, you know, that uh, kind of, and I, but it takes, if you really like doing something similar to what you just talked about, about an actor uh, uh, to being too tense uh, yeah. compared to just relaxing and, and being natural. This is so natural. This has become so just effortless. Um, and, and the effort I put in, I don't feel the effort because I'm enjoying it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that a lot of students, um, have embraced that element of things that oh mm -hmm. I can I could TikTok all day like and yeah. and and get a grade for it like so that's you know especially in a theatrical uh, fine arts world uh, I think they really like it so I, I'm gonna wrap up with one more question and I you may not know the answer I don't know uh, but you mentioned right at the beginning you grew up in did you say Canada Texas Canadian yes Canadian Texas so what yes. what is, I've never heard of that town in texas it's, it's two hours north of amarillo oh um, right really on the border with yeah Oklahoma. <laughs> okay so it's the it's where the panhandle meets the panhandle pretty much right or absolutely okay. yeah that's exactly yeah. right it's it's right by the panhandle of oklahoma yeah so what do you know the history of the name how the town got its name do you have any um, idea the canadian river runs through it i mean uh -huh. and um the that Canadian was River was a substantial river at some point until it was dammed. Um, but I, other than that, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. Um, it's an extraordinary place. Um, the They have a fall foliage tour because it's one of the, again, it's one of the few places in the panhandle with lots of trees right. um, because there is a river that goes through it. Um, it's incredibly isolated. Um, growing up, I was two hours away from anywhere I could buy music, um, like wow. video, like yeah. cassette tapes yeah. <laughs> or buy books, um, wow. like at a bookstore. Um, and anyone in the town who went to the orthodontist, there was a carpool that parents did. So the five kids who went to the orthodontist would go once a month, all at the same time to Pampa, a town uh, an hour and away because an orthodontist came there once a month. <laughs> Um, so it, it was really isolated, wow. but it, it was fortunate um, that the largest natural gas well in the country is in Canadian. Okay. And there was also lots of oil 
And the people of the town cared tremendously about the community and the school and education. And they, they funded it in a crazy way. Right. So they knew to get someone to teach in Canadian Texas, you were going to have to pay them a significant amount more than they would get teaching somewhere else. Sure. And, and they did. Wow. And so I grew up with extraordinary teachers in every discipline. Um, because the community cared so much about education in that tiny town in right. the middle of nowhere. Do you, so that leads me to, I guess I lied to you. It's not, I didn't ask you the last question. Do you think that's a model that is repeated in other small towns or, or should be repeated the the idea yeah. of, you know, throwing um, money at education? Um, it, it is compete. It, it is in a lot of towns, specifically in West Texas, or it was traditionally in the seventies, eighties and nineties. Sure. When um, when there was a large tax base because of oil, right. um, and some have main and some have maintained that in other ways, even when oil was not the price of oil dropped, um, and, and there are other places like Seminole right. um, and Andrews and great great places to grow up because the whole life of the town revolves around the schools. Right. Um, their entertainment is going to the sports event or the play that's happening right. and everybody in the town goes. So um, I, I don't want to end on, on an oil comment. So I'm going to ask you uh, the, final, <laughs> fi the final, final question. <laughs> and, and if you pause, I will take it out, but nobody will ever yeah. know. Okay. So <laughs> I, I want, because I like ending with either a joke or, or um, uh, a bit of advice. I want you to think of what, what might be the best piece of advice that you've ever received uh, in any form? It doesn't even have to be theater related. It could just be some sort of zenful advice that you received. The best piece of advice I ever received was from Terry Mars, my high school theater teacher, my senior year. And he looked at me when I was, think when I was planning on um, applying to colleges and said, if there is anything in this world that you can see yourself doing other than theater, you should do that. <laughs> and for me, the answer was, there's nothing else that I could do. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, when I taught high school, I would say that same advice to students. Um, and of course he said it because it, because what we do is very difficult. Um, but for me, the difficulty of it is part of what makes it so rewarding as well. Um, that that I, I can feel a sense of accomplishment um, every day um, because I, I can see the impact that theater has on the students that I teach and on um, on the my colleagues who also teach it and on our audiences as well. Minor.